One of the most frustrating things in our prayer journey is when we have had the faith to pray, but we don't yet see answers. Has anyone been there, or is it just me? Like, we've had the faith to pray, but we're like, where is the answer? And I gotta tell you, even though I'm a pastor, I've had prayers that have seemingly gone unanswered. It happens to all of us. I remember when a loved one in my family, a family member was going through a crisis in their marriage. I fasted and prayed for God to rescue this marriage and for them to come out triumphant. I fasted and prayed, but the marriage ended in divorce. I tell you, I was so mad, so disappointed, so angry. A childhood friend of mine that I considered a little brother had a lifelong illness that he had dealt with, and at the age of 19, he died. And for those few months going up to that moment, I prayed, God, heal him. Just think of the good that he can continue to do in the world. And yet God did not answer the prayer like I had hoped. I prayed for so many couples who were wanting to conceive a child and they're dealing with infertility. And some of those prayers God answered and they experienced the birth of a child. And the others are still waiting. And it's possible that even over the last 21 days, you've had some things you've been praying for, but you're wondering, where are the answers to the prayers that I've been praying? Maybe for 21 years, you've prayed for some things, and you're still in this waiting process for an answer. And I want to today encourage some of you who find yourself amidst the frustrations of unanswered prayers. Prayers that seems to have gone unanswered. In fact, if you find yourself in the frustrations of unanswered prayer, you're actually in good company. You're in the company of great heroes of the Bible who were full of faith, who prayed, and yet they didn't see the answer to what they prayed for. Abraham at one point asked God, would you just bless me through Ishmael so that I don't have to keep waiting for Isaac? And God said no. King David once prayed for his newborn not to die. He fasted, lamented, and prayed for his newborn baby boy not to die, and yet he died. Paul prayed three times, God, would you remove this thorn on my flesh? We don't know if it was physical or emotional. I don't know. We don't know what it was, but he prayed, and yet God, instead of healing him, gave him grace to endure. Women like Hannah, Sarah, Elizabeth are among the many who for years dealt with barrenness and infertility. And though God would answer their prayers, eventually they went years in silence. And at the time of their day in that culture, there was incredible shame associated with that. Jesus, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, would pray to the Father, if at all possible, Father, would you remove this cup from me, this cup of pain and suffering? And yet the Father chose not to remove the cup of suffering, unanswered prayers. And I want to tell you, first of all, that it's okay to express your anger, disappointment, and pain in the unanswered prayers of your life. In fact, those expressions are prayers. Those very expressions and the verbalizing of the pain you feel, they are prayers that God receives. So many of the Psalms that we read are prayers of anger and disappointment. They're expressions of pain and honesty. For instance, the same David who wrote in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He also wrote in Psalm 69, I am worn out. Calling for help, my eyes fail looking for God. 
David, who wrote in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He wrote in Psalm 142, I pour out my complaint. Before God, I tell my trouble. Psalm 145, David wrote, Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever. But in Psalm 140, he says, May burning coals fall on my enemies. May they be thrown in the fire never to rise. Whoa, David, you can't say that to God. But it's in the Bible, isn't it? Even prayers that sort of seem heretical are honest. And God preserved them in his holy scripture. Why? So that it would give us permission to be honest. See, as Lewis once said it like this, we must lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Give God what is in you, the pain you feel, the frustration, the disappointment, the questions, the doubt. Give him what is in you, not what ought to be in you. God would much rather have an honest prayer than a pretend one. Church people know how to pray some pretend prayers, don't we? Come on. God says, give me what's in you. I can take it. I can take it. Two temptations we face in the journey of prayer. One is to stop praying because we have not yet seen the answers, and so we quit, we stop. Two is to stop trusting in God. In our prayer journey, we may stop praying because of the delay or the denial we seem to get from God, or we may stop trusting in the character of God. Thinking if he's loving and powerful and yet chooses not to answer, maybe he's not the God I thought he was. So Jesus in Luke 11 teaches us on prayer. In fact, right after Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, he tells a parable and begins to exposit it, and he teaches us these two things, to be persistent in prayer and to trust God in prayer. The two things we face often in our prayer journey. Notice what Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 5 to 13. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children, I have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, circle that in your Bible, because of his friend's audacity, his shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Jesus goes on, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more? If the worst of the dads in the world or the best of the dads know how to give good gifts to their children, if we being evil know how to good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In this parable, a guy comes in the middle of the night 
and knocks on his neighbor's door because one of his friends visits him in the middle of the night. In the first century, often people would travel at night because it was so hot during the day, and so they would travel at night, and so this friend of a guy comes and knocks on this door and said, hey, can I just spend the night? And according to the first century, if somebody shows up at your door, you got to feed them. You got to be hospitable, and these are the days before deep freezers, right? And so, and so the guy says, okay, welcome to my house, but I got nothing to give you. And not being able to good, give food to the stranger or this friend who stops by is an act of personal shame. And so he goes to his neighbor's house to avoid personal shame. He takes an action of shameless boldness, goes in the middle of the night to his friend's house, his neighbor's house, and says, hey, could you help me? Somebody's come home and I got nothing to give them. I need you to give me some food. Lend me some bread. And the neighbor's like, dude, I'm asleep. We've already turned the alarm on. I can't help you right now. Not just me, everyone's asleep. In first century, uh, the dads would sleep with their, the rest of the family, the kids and the mom, and everybody on the same bed usually. And they would sleep above where the animals were kept. All the cows and the sheep were on the bottom floor where the front door was, and the family slept upstairs. So for this man to come and open the door, he would have to wake up his family, disturb the animals, and unlock a metal padlock that secured the door. No simple ask. So he says, I can't help you. But I love the wording that Jesus used, but this neighbor, this friend, had shameless audacity. And he persisted, kept knocking, and said, you got to help me. So of course, because of his shameless audacity, this man opens the door and gave him as much as he needs. And Jesus goes on to instruct us, ask, and it will be given. Seek and you shall find, knock, and the door shall be opened. These three verbs in the Greek, maybe you've heard of this, they're in the present active imperative, meaning it indicates an ongoing action. So it's not just a one-time event, it is an ongoing repetitive action. So really the language is ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on seek and keep on seeking. Keep on doing this, keep asking, keep knocking, keep Seeking. Now, some people have twisted and manipulated this text to say if you just have enough faith and if you just pester God long enough, whatever it is that you're asking for, a new car, a new house, whatever it is, if you got enough faith, God will always give it to you if you just keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. But that is not the purpose of this passage. This passage does not obligate God to every single thing we ask of him. Jesus does say that everyone who asks receives, but he doesn't say what exactly it is that we receive. Sometimes we receive what we are praying for, but other times God gives us something other than what we are praying for. The point of the parable isn't to obligate God to give us everything we are asking for, but the point of the parable is to paint a picture of a loving father who loves it when his kids come with shameless boldness. And they keep asking him. They keep asking him. In first century, people were very timid to go to God. In fact, they were so afraid of God to even say his name out loud, let alone to make a request of God. But Jesus begins to paint a very different picture of God being a loving father. That's why he begins this early in this passage to say, you can call God Abba, your heavenly dad. 
He's painting a picture of a father you can run to and ask. A four-year-old does this really well. He'll ask and ask and ask until he gets it or until he falls asleep. (laughs) And if I gave everything to my son that he asked, my wife would be really, really mad at me. But I love the fact that he feels the freedom to keep asking. Sometimes I'm like, Liam, you can have it later. A minute goes by. Is it later now? Technically it is, isn't it? So smart. How sad would I be if my son had a need and he didn't feel like he could come to me? And Jesus is saying, you have a heavenly father who loves you enough for you to come with shameless boldness and audacity and to keep asking. Ask, seek, and knock. You can say that in these three verbs, there is a progression of intensity. Asking is a verbal request. Seeking is an all-out search. Knocking is an action-oriented prayer. There is a growth in the intensity of our prayer that Jesus invites us to. But second of all, it's not just the progression of intensity, but there is a progression of focus. Focus. See, when we ask... We're actually seeking God's hand, aren't we? We're asking him to do something. We're asking his hand to move. We're asking him to do something. But when we seek, all across the Bible, the word seek is associated with seeking God himself. Not seeking his hand, but seeking his face. And when we go from asking to seeking, we go from a need-based prayer to a relationship-based prayer. God's not a genie and our faith isn't a force. No, no, no. We are beholding the face of God when we are seeking him. But then there is a sense of knocking. And when we knock on a door, nobody knocks on an empty wall because we know that can't be open. When we knock on a door, we trust there's somebody on the other side that it's able to be open. There is a sense of trust and surrender. We put ourselves at the mercy of the person on the other side of the door. We are trusting and we are surrendering. So here's a progression of focus. When we ask, we are seeking God's hand. When we seek, we're seeking his face. And when we knock, we're seeking his heart. From his hand to his face to his heart. And we are aligning our heart with his, our desire, our wants. We're saying, God, I came to you with a need, but you know what? You matter so much more than the need. I've come to you with a need of healing, but now I've met the healer. And I can stay here in your presence and surrender my will to your perfect will. I think it's fascinating that Jesus teaches us to ask, seek, and knock. But then he begins to describe the character of God that we can trust. It's as if Jesus knew that when our answers seem delayed, or when we don't feel like we've got the answers to what we're praying for, the delay could create distrust. The delay to our answers could create a sense of distrusting or doubting God himself. So Jesus in verse 11 talks about a child who comes to his father and asks for a fish, and he says, if your son asks you for a fish, no parents are going to give them a snake. Please don't do that. 
If he asks for an egg, no one's going to give him a scorpion. No, no, no. He's going to give him the good gifts. Even the worst of parents will give their kids best gifts, good gifts. So then how much more, verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is saying the heart of your heavenly Father is to give you good gifts. Only good gifts, the best gifts, because he is a loving, holy, perfect heavenly father. Now, here's a frustration we feel in prayer. And I know I'm taking a risk by verbalizing this because I don't think you'll walk away fully resolved with this tension. When we pray to God, we are praying for things that we believe are good gifts. And when we don't get them, we wonder, why didn't my heavenly father, who I know is good, didn't give me this good gift? When we pray for a person with terminal illness to be healed, that is a good gift. When we pray for a better job to take care of our families, that is a good gift. When we pray for a child not to be sick anymore, that indeed is a good gift. So we wonder, well, that is a good gift. Why didn't God answer that good gift? that I've prayed for. There aren't any easy answers to that. But I think what Jesus is addressing here is from our perspective, there are things that seem like they are good gifts, and they may be. But from God's perspective, there are better gifts he would rather give us. From our perspective, this seems like a good gift, and we want it, we're asking for it, and we should receive it. But God, who has seen your whole story, he's seen your whole family story, he's seen those around you, he looks at the whole narrative of your life from beginning to end, and he says, I know you've asked me for a good gift, but I want to give you a better gift. And sometimes he will withhold the good gifts we ask for so that he can give us a better gift we didn't ask for. So that loved one who is terminally ill, we believe it's good for them to stay here on earth with us. But God who sees their whole story and our whole story, he says, you know, what's better for them is actually to come home to me. And I will answer the prayer of healing, but I'll do it by welcoming them home. We believe that promotion or that job is a good gift for us, but God may see the kind of person you become at that job, and it's not very good. You'll become entitled or greedy. And he says, actually, I'm going to wait because what I'm doing in this refining process is the better gift. What I'm doing in you in the waiting, sometimes the answers are a good gift, but sometimes it's in the waiting that God gives the, guests, the best gifts. The process actually does something in us. It's the refiner's fire that the Bible talks about. It's when he conforms our heart to his, and he allows our pain and our suffering to lead us to him in a way that our answers may not have. So he may withhold good gifts because he sees there to be a better gift, and this is where trust is required. God's promise is that we may not always receive the gifts we want, but that he will always give us the gift we need. God may not always give us the gifts we want, but he will always give us the gifts we need. So he invites us to trusting in the very character of your heavenly father who only does what is good. So sometimes he will withhold good for the better. 
Tyler Statton in his book that I referred last week, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, he said it like this, Jesus hasn't revealed a God we can perfectly understand, but he has revealed a God we can perfectly trust. We may not be able to perfectly understand God, but we can't trust him. And trusting says, God, even when I don't know what you're doing, I see your heart, and it's good. I see your character, and it's trustworthy. Even when you don't remove my suffering, you actually wear my suffering on yourself. And you step into the pain with me. You intercede for me. And you walk into the middle of my pain, in the middle of my agony, the middle of my unanswered prayers with me. You're there with me. So I can go from asking, yes, I will ask, now to seeking and not a knocking. I want you to notice the last thing that Jesus said about this prayer that I think we often overlook. When he said in verse 13, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Somehow Jesus believes that the best gift we can have is not a thing but a person. The deepest needs of our soul are answered not in the house we pray for or the job or even the healing. The deepest needs of our soul are answered in God pouring out the Holy Spirit to you. And if you're a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit. But this verse is God in the midst of my need. Make me aware of your presence, Holy Spirit. I need you desperately in this moment to speak to me, to guide me. Jesus seems to think that the greatest thing worth asking for, the greatest person worth seeking, the greatest thing to knock for is, Holy Spirit, I need you. That you are my greatest need in this moment. You are my greatest priority in this moment. Why? Why is it that the Holy Spirit is what we most desperately need? Well, look at what Paul said in Romans 8, verse 26, about the brokenness we feel, The torment we feel on this side of the earth, on this side of eternity, when we know we're headed to glory, but we feel the groanings in our spirit. Notice how Paul instructs us in Romans 8, verse 26. In the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray as we should, but the spirit intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And in that context, then Paul says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Paul is saying, on this side of eternity, you will have unanswered prayers. You will feel the groanings, the brokenness of this world. You will feel pain in your body. You will see injustice around you. But in that moment when you don't know what to pray, ask the Holy Spirit to pray for you. Ask him to take over for you because he intercedes on your behalf. When you don't know what the will of God is, the Holy Spirit does. And Paul is saying, the Spirit of God, when you don't know what to pray, prays with inexpressible groanings from deep within you. And when we give the Spirit of God the full freedom to pray prayers that we may not naturally want to pray, 
to pray for us and through us. Then Paul says, God works all things together for the good. The greatest good, which he will later say is being like Jesus. For those who are called according to his purpose. And he write in a recent commentary on Romans, he said, the Greek here isn't necessarily saying that God works all things together for the good of those who love God, but rather that he works all things together for the good with those who love God. With those, meaning as we yield our heart in prayer to the Holy Spirit, we finally get into the posture of where God not only works in us or for us, but he begins to work with us to bring the greatest good in the world. He begins to partner with you in this posture of humility, dependence, and the Spirit of God begins to groan. He begins to pray. In the midst of that, God does a great work, not just in us, but with us in the world. I've got to tell you, honestly, there are no unanswered prayers. None. Why? Because Caleb read this verse earlier in Revelation 5 that says, all of the prayers of the saints are kept in a bottle of incense. There in eternity, every time you pray, that incense rises one degree higher. God doesn't keep all my sermon notes, <laughs> but he keeps your prayers. Wow. Revelation 5, 8, read it when you get a chance. He keeps all of our prayers in this bowl of incense. That's not all. If you go into Revelation 8, verse 3 onwards, John sees a vision where that incense of our prayers is lit on fire. The incense of every prayer that you thought God didn't hear, of every prayer you thought has gone unanswered, that incense full of the prayers of the saints for thousands of years is lit on fire, and God hurls it down on earth. And it comes out of that bowl with thunder, lightning, peals of flashing, and earthquake. Why? John is painting a picture that in the new heavens and the new earth, every one of our prayers is answered in the most perfect way we can't even imagine. So don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't keep doubting in the character of your heavenly Father. There are some of you who have yet to receive the Holy Spirit because you haven't trusted in Christ yet. This is a moment for you to say, Jesus, I receive your finished work on the cross for me. I want to enter into this relationship where you are my Savior and my Lord. And the Bible says the moment you confess Jesus, open up your heart and you yield to him, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And now you have a power greater than yourself. You have the Spirit of God himself interceding and working, equipping you, empowering you. This is the moment for you to yield to Jesus. You know that Jesus is God in the flesh who came on earth 2,000 years ago, died the death we owed, rose from the grave, and lives for you. Would you trust him? Would you yield your heart to him? But for some of us who have the Spirit, this is the moment to ask the Holy Spirit, how are you praying for me? Ask him to show you what he's doing in the midst of the season of unanswered prayers. Maybe for some of us, it's to actually verbally admit, God, this is what I have stopped believing about you. This is the area of my doubt, and I give it to you. 
re-engage in prayer and let it be a form of healing. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song that I love. It simply says, what a friend we have in Jesus. That there is this open invitation to take everything to God and pray. Everything. Not just the good parts of our life. Not just the victories of our life, but the painful, broken, questionable parts of our life. Why? Because you have a heavenly Father who does what is good, and his gifts are only going to be good. So as you pray, as you engage in prayer, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, center your prayer around the friendship we have with God through Jesus.
pray over you today. I know some of you came in just with heaviness on your heart, be feeling deep illness in your body. If you came in just deeply burdened, would you just lift up your hands to the Lord for whatever reason it may be. Maybe you've got a child you're praying for. Maybe you've got a marriage you're interceding for. Maybe there's sickness in your home. There's weightiness on your mind, on your soul. Just lift that to the Lord. And if you're surrounded by somebody who's got a raised hand, would you just lovingly lay your hand on their shoulders? The beautiful part about our church is that we can carry our needs to the Lord in prayer. So, Father, would you release grace today all over this room and online? The grace that heals the grace that comforts. Guys, send somebody is just sorrowful today with deep grief. A grief they've carried for a long, long time. A, a, perhaps a grief, Lord, that they thought they had dealt with it, but it keeps creeping up. And now they don't know. They, they feel so incapable of moving forward with life. Today, would you lift that off of them? For the garment of that grief, would you put peace? Would you put grace, even praise? We left the deeds of our brothers and sisters today. God, for those who are sick in their bodies, would you be their healer today? We ask for healing, supernatural, miraculous healing. For those who whose minds are plagued with deep worry and concerns that in the watches of the night they're awakened with fear, with depression and anxiety. God, right now, would you meet them? Would they see your face so clearly right now? And would you lift the heaviness, God? Would you lift it? For those who are praying for loved ones who are without Jesus, maybe neighbors, people we've been having sent moments with, God, right now, would you begin to move in their heart, God, of the people we are praying for? Would you bring a sense of conviction and convincing that Jesus is good, he is true, he is alive? And may our hearts today, wherever they may be across the world, across the street, across our city, may people's heart begin to turn to you by faith. We ask, oh God, you bring people to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Oh, what a privilege to pray, to carry our burdens to the Lord with one another. What a friend we have in Jesus that we can come with shameless boldness and ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. All this in the faithful and trustworthy name of Jesus, we pray together. We all said it. Amen. 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 Can you give Jesus a thanks offering for his presence? Amen. Thank you so much, church family, for being with us. If you want to give out of your financial resources to continue the ministry of our church, you can give so as you leave today in this heart of worship. You can give online or through the app. Uh, as well. And next week, we began a brand new series talking about how Jesus pursued the one in the crowd. And so I want to invite you to come back next weekend and keep having those send conversations. And if you've had send moments, would you let us know by on the app or outside by the tree of life? Let us know the beautiful moments that God is working through your life. We love you. God bless you. Come early next weekend for parent-child dedication. We'll see you back in a week.